It's so good to be with you all. Good morning, River Church of the South End of the Santa Monica Bay. Feet in the sand, eyes on the horizon, and we are together. I am James, one of the team members here at the River, and I love I love it when I get to open up God's word, scriptures, and think with you together. So let me pray. I know there's a prayer already had, but you can't have too much prayer. Lord, thanks for this morning. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're today looking into Acts, but what I would like to do before um, we focus on one particular passage I just want you to sit back, as you many of you are, relax, take a deep breath. Let's do one more, kind of just recognize we are here right now. One more breath. And for the next probably like five to seven minutes, I'm just going to read to you. I'm just going to read to you from... The literary treasures of the first three centuries of what we have come to call Christianity. So I'm going to read to you episodes, snapshots, quotes. Some of them are from the scriptures you'll recognize. Some of them are from your and my ancestors in the faith in the second century, third century, scattered all around the ancient Mediterranean world. And I have some music to it. Ron's going to be my DJ. So thanks. We need a DJ name for you, Ron, and we need it quick. But um, go ahead and hit it, and I'm just going to read. So sit back and relax. This is what we're doing for the next five to ten minutes, or five to seven minutes. As he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples, his students. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his students, What and why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. Matthew 9, 10, and 11. Moving to the Gospel of Luke. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, friend of tax collectors and sinners. Luke 7, 33, and the story continues into a house of a Pharisee. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet, anointing them with ointment. Now when a Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is that's touching him. She is a sinner. Moving to the second century, a thinker by the name of Celsus in his treatise against the Christians, he writes this, these pathetic Christians, they get a hold of the youth privately and certain women, as ignorant as they themselves are, and they pour forth fanciful statements saying, if you wish to avail yourself of their aid, then you must leave your father and your instructors and go with the women and their silly infantile playfellows to the women's apartments or to the lowly leather shop or to the filthy wool worker shop so that there, in that impoverished squalor, they may somehow attain perfection of God. He goes on, 
Simply put, they, the Christians, desire and are able to gain over only the stupid, the silly, and the poor, along with women and children. I'm going to read a letter from the early 2nd century A.D., written by a Roman governor of Bithynia, just below the Black Sea, to the emperor Trajan. It's in the epistles 10, 96 to 97 of Pliny the, the Younger. He writes this, In the case of those who are denounced to me as Christians, I've observed the following procedure. I interrogated these as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed, I interrogated a second and a third time, threatening them with punishment. Those who persisted, I ordered executed, for I had no doubt that whatever the nature of their creed, stubbornness and inflexible obstinacy surely deserved to be punished. There were others possessed of the same folly, but because they were Roman citizens, I signed an order for them to be transferred to Rome. These Christians I interrogated, they maintained that they were innocent of any crime. Rather, they said, we are in the habit of merely meeting on a fixed day before it was light, and we sang hymns to Christ as to a God. And we bound ourselves by a solemn oath not to commit any fraud, uh, fraud or theft or adultery, and not to falsify our word or deny a promise when being called upon to fulfill the promise. These things it was their custom to do. And they would take then a meal together of ordinary and innocent food. Pliny continues, I have currently postponed the investigation and have hastened to consult you, O Emperor, for the matter seemed to me to be so urgent as to warrant consulting you because of the sheer number of people now involved. For many persons of every age, of every rank, and of both sexes are and will be endangered if we do not stop the spread of this abomination. For the contagion of this superstition has spread now not only to the cities, but also to the villages and farms. But it seems possible for us to check it and cure it if we act swiftly. All right, Ryan, go to the next song. Another pack of passages. Acts 16, 22 to 25. The crowd joined in in attacking them. And the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing, ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had been given a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the inmost cell. He fastened their feet in stocks. But at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening intently to their songs. A North African text from the late second, early third century, the passion of Perpetua and Felicity, tells the story of a community of Christians led by two women who were exposed to the midday executions at a, at a Roman game. And this is from actually possibly perhaps her own journal entry, which would make it one of the only surviving ancient accounts of a woman's internal thinking that survives from antiquity. This is so cool. She says this, after a few days, we were taken into prison. 
I was much afraid because I had never known such darkness before. Oh, bitter day. There was a great heat because of the claustrophobic conditions. And then there was the cruel treatment we received from the soldiers. And lastly, I was tormented there for the care of my child who I had just born. Then Tertius and Pomponius, two of the blessed deacons who ministered to us from the outside, they bribed the guards and they obtained that for a few hours we should be taken forth to a better part of the prison and refreshed. And there I nursed my child that was now faint with hunger. And being careful for him, I spoke to my mother, I strengthened my brother, I commended my son to them, and I anguished because I saw that they anguished for me. Such cares I suffered for many days. And then I obtained that my child should abide with me in the prison, and straight away I became well. And suddenly that prison became like a palace to me so that I would sooner be there than anywhere else in the world. Moving to the south of France, ancient Roman Gaul in the second century AD. Another account of Christians under persecution and the Christian community responding. After these things on the last day of the gladiatorial shows, Blandina, in the eyes of the world, a mere slave and a woman, was brought along with Ponticus, a boy of about 15 years of age. These two had been taken daily to the amphitheater to see the tortures which the rest of the brothers and sisters endured and to force them to compel, and to compel them to swear by the idols of the polytheists. Accordingly, they exposed them to every terror. They inflicted on them every torture, repeatedly trying to compel them to worship other deities, but they failed in effecting this, for the young Ponticus was encouraged by his sister Blandina, sister in Christ. Indeed, he was so comforted by her that even the polytheist saw that she powerfully encouraged and comforted him. And after nobly enduring every kind of torture, he gave up his spirit, while the blessed Blandina having encouraged her children in the faith like a noble mother, sent them before her victorious to the king. She now walked the same path of conflict, hastening on to them with joy and with exaltation, not as one thrown to the wild beasts, but as one invited to a marriage feast. Next song, Ron. It's our passage for today, actually, this first one. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to community, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and their goods and they would distribute them and the proceeds of what was made, they would give to any that had need. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the courts of the temple, a common gathering place in Jerusalem, they broke bread. And from home to home, they ate their food together with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. 
I'm going to read a quote from the Apology of Aristides, a mid-2nd century A.D. quote from an Athenian Christian. And he describes the Christian community, and he says this about them. They see a stranger, and they take him into their homes, and they rejoice over him as a very sibling. And whenever one of their poor passes from the world, each of them, according to their ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial. And if there is anyone among them that is needy or poor, the whole community will call a fast for two or three days. And in the money that was saved from not purchasing food, they would give the needy for their lack of food. Finally, I want to read a quote from Dionysius of Alexandria describing the behavior of his Christian brothers and sisters during a devastating third century plague. He writes this, Most of our Christian siblings showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, ministering to them in Christ. And with them, they departed this life serenely happy. For they, in their nursing efforts, were infected by the others with the very disease they were caring for. And drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains, many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of our siblings in Christ gave their lives in this way. Ron, you can go to the last song now. Now, I wrote something, a little something, as I do. This mosaic of quotes invites us to push pause on our forward-looking, goal-driven, agenda-pushing, move-at-the-speed-of-light 21st century ministry moment. These fascinating echoes from antiquity call us to reflect on a time-tested pillar of our sacred heritage as followers of Jesus and bearers of God's great story. They showcase a phenomenon that is beautifully simple yet stubbornly enduring, a prevailing evangelistic force that has always and everywhere accompanied the spirit-filled proclamation of true, full life in Christ. The foregoing tapestry of testimonials introduces us to the environment that our ancient ancestors in the faith insisted on protecting, nurturing, and celebrating. In our short time together, I pray we can rediscover the wonder and the majesty and the gospel-proclaiming miracle that is authentic, life-giving community in this thing we call church. Thank you so much, Ron, for playing the music. So whenever you're reading ancient quotes, as inspiring as they are, a film score always helps things along. Um, today's going to be super simple, really simple. I want to read one more time this passage that I'm teaching through as we've been going through Acts 1 and 2 and seeing in Acts 1 and 2 like a little fractal, these like repeating patterns that are going to be growing and growing and growing and growing throughout the entirety of the story that we'll explore this next couple months. But we see the proclamation 
or the return of Jesus, the commissioning of the disciples, the Holy Spirit showing up, God with us showing up in a major way, the first preaching of the good news publicly that Peter does on Pentecost, and then look where it all collects at the end of this action. And this is going to be a reoccurring pattern in Acts. You'll see it again and again and again. There'll be conflict. There'll be opportunities. There'll be incredible, miraculous things that happen. And it all then circles back together in community. And they devoted themselves, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. Everyone was filled with awe as the mighty wonders and signs were performed by apostles. They all believed and were together and shared everything. They sold property, possessions to give to those who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I could walk you through all the passages and prove to you right now that this is not a one-off thing. And it's not just like a narrative flourish to add a little bit of uh, verisimilitude or, or reality to the stories. These little accounts of community are actually showing us what we were made for. Like literally what we were designed for. We were not designed as a purpose of life to just walk around and preach Jesus to people. And that sounds controversial, almost heretical. It's not, I promise you. You were not originally designed to just be a conduit of a message. If you read through the garden accounts in Genesis 1 and 2, and even into 3, and then you read through all of the history of the Hebrew Bible, and you look at Jesus' lifestyle, you read through Acts, you read through the letters of the New Testament, and then you look all the way at the Apocalypse of John, at the very, very end, what do you notice? You notice that Enjoying community, true, like God-infused community with, with the Lord and with one another is an end in and of itself. I want to say that again. Gathering and enjoying true community is not a means to an end. It's not something we do so we will be better in our marriages, so we will be better in our like sharing this good news of Jesus, so we will be better moral people. Actually, it does serve those purposes for sure, but it is an end in and of itself. And so I'm preaching literally to the choir here. I'm preaching to a group of people that have chosen to gather together and to commune together and spend time praising God and hearing some scripture and then connecting and, and communing. But this is an end in and of itself. I actually am not going to unpack it much further, that passage, other than to say this. Watch from Acts chapter 5 on that each of the key ingredients mentioned in, in Acts 2, uh, 42 and following, each of the key ingredients of that community will be, it looks like almost systematically attacked. Every, everything from the sharing and generosity to the meeting together to the proclamation of good news, every single one will be systematically attacked from the outside, which is something like, yeah, that's right, those bad pagans or those mean um, elite Second Temple uh, Sanhedrin leaders. 
but it will also be attacked from the inside. Like, this is a reality. I entitled this sermon, a title I was given. Let me turn to it. The title I was given uh, was Jesus' People from Every People. And so it's a message about the beautiful diversity in the people of God. But I sort of retitled it, How Not to Destroy a Church, Use People, and Leave Everyone Super Bummed Out. That's, that to me is something I think I need to hear. And I think many of us need to hear. Like we live in a context, in a moment, and we all know so many people, and some of you may absolutely be those people, that have run close to Christian community, maybe in the center of Christian community, and you have seen things and experienced things, and it makes you sick to your stomach. And we all know people that have said, I'm done with this. If this is what Jesus people are like, and this is what the community is about, I just want anything to do with it. And I'm done. And now, we can, obviously, I think there's mixed motivations for deconstructing faith. And sometimes we can use, well, I was hurt by a church as an excuse for some other stuff we have going on that makes it convenient to kind of get an arm's length. But I do know that this particular piece of what it means to follow Jesus, the community of the gathered community of people in a local setting, it will always be one of the easiest things, easiest targets or best targets of the enemy, of our own flesh, of our own agendas to tear apart the fabric of. And so when I say this is a, an end in and of itself, I mean that. And when I say that I, like it will find itself under attack, you do not have to look far, locally or globally, to see this happening again and again and again. And so um, I, I have a couple stories I'm saving for the end. I want to then show you one more passage. It's kind of a couplet. So this one, Acts 2 and Acts 4, sort of fit together. And, and as we keep reading and exploring Acts, you'll see a lot of these. But Acts 4 has a similar, similar um, description, but it has something really important. Because there are some of you, and there are a lot of ministries. I work, as many of you know, as a professor full-time at a, at a Christian university. And we work with a lot of great ministry leaders and folks that have these massive, massive ministries. At the river, as you even heard this morning with Dennis, we are connected to a number of very efficient and wonderful and powerful ministries. And there's always a temptation for the yeah, but. James, I know community is so important. I know that you're like the big, like, let's fellowship, let's make sure there's unity, let's make sure that we have integrity, but you know what? There's also things to be done, and sometimes you got to mow over people or mow over things to get those things done. No one says that. No one has written that book, like how to mow over people to get your agenda done, but I could probably write that book, and many folks that have been in and around the church, it's like good intentions. Run folks over. And the ends justify the means. And what I'm here to say is, if you're taking your blueprint from the scriptures, the ends never justify the means. Never, ever, 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 ever. First Corinthians 13, if I have the faith to move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give my body to be burned, I give everything I have to the poor, but I do not have love, I have nothing. I mean, the, the scriptures are really clear. The ingredients matter. They matter completely. And so for some of, some of us, it's like, okay, well, is there a connection? Like, 
how is the community connected to the mission? Because I think mission, I think, here's your rifle, get out there and go uh, fight and whatever you're going to do. Here's your mission, accomplish it. Look at this, Acts 4, 32 to 35. All the believers were of one heart and one mind. No one claimed any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had with great power. Fun, fun phrase. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, now hear that. The proclamation, the story of Jesus, who was not present with them in bodily form while they were presenting Jesus, was landing powerfully. Like people heard it and they were like, whoa, why? Was it these untrained Galileans' rhetoric? Was it their communication skills? Why was it so powerful? The story continues. It says this, verse 34, and it's easy to miss, and some translations actually kind of miss it a little bit. It says, and God's grace was, I'm sorry, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection with great power, and the, God's grace was powerfully at work in them all, and there's this Greek post-positive causal conjunction. Gar. Everyone say gar. Gar. You can say it again. Gar. All right, it sounds like piratey. It sounds like, yeah, gar. You know what gar means? Gar means that what I'm about to say happened because of what I just said. That the thing I'm about to say, the reason it is the way it is, right, is because I'm sorry, I switched that. <laughs> what I just said, here comes the reason for it. So this thing I just explained to you, gar, here's the reason. It means therefore, or for, or because of what I'm about to share with you. And listen to what it says. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was powerfully at work in them. Gar, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. In other words, here is these apostles preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus, and it lands powerfully. Why? Because the community that they live in was real. It actually lived out the ideas and the attitudes and the person it proclaimed. You could preach Jesus and then grab someone by the arm and say, come with me. I want you to see it now. I want you to actually taste and feel what it means, what Jesus looks like, the shape, the contours of the Messiah. And you will see it in a community that actually with authenticity and integrity cares for the least in their community. And in Acts 2, truly enjoys a fellowship, a sibling fellowship with one another. In John, uh, John 17, Jesus prays this high priestly prayer or whatever. He prays for the church. And what is his prayer? Of all the things he could ask for in the church, he says, John 17, 20, I ask not only for these, his immediate apostles, but all those on behalf of who will believe in me through their word. That is us, the future church. That they may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may be in us so that, why? What's the purpose of that amazing community? So that the world may believe you sent me. In other words, like the proof that Jesus is truly divinely sent, you can actually see it in a community that's real. And I think, 
I think that we all kind of know that. I think we all kind of know that and feel that. I think we all desire that. And there's some weird like plastic wrapping that gets wrapped around authentic community and we just can't quite get to it sometimes. And we go to places called church and many people, especially like the weird, the cool part about the beach service is you can invite folks and say, look, if it gets weird, you just kind of walk on out like you weren't part of it. You know, you can just kind of wander on out. It's, it's kind of nice. But if you ask someone, come on into a church, come on in. And there's nothing wrong with church buildings. But right, one of the first questions they have is, will I be judged? Or I feel the judgment. Ah, I don't know. Or I don't know. I've met some weird people, some crooked people that called Jesus followers. And so to taste and see real, loving, authentic, Jesus-following people, I think, is so important. And I want you to notice the connection between the quality of community and the power of proclamation. Okay, I have an object lesson that I want to do now. So my wife baked this morning. And these are, like, hot when she handed to me at the service. She baked this morning. She makes amazing chocolate chip cookies, like unbelievably delicious chocolate chip cookies. And she made some for me this morning. This isn't a trick, nothing weird in there. Um, but, but yeah, just let's clear that up. Uh, these are amazing chocolate chip cookies. She pours like the most beautiful ingredients in them. And like every chocolate chip, she says a prayer over. She reads a poem to the whole batch, each batch, you know, lovingly rocks them before she put, I mean, there is nothing but love infused in these cookies and they are so good and they don't have any calories. She prays them away before, yeah, she prays them away. She's like, be gone, calories. And they're so good. Um, would anyone like one of them? Would someone like one of the cookies? Yeah, come on up, come on up here, come on up here. Yes, get on up, get on up here. Let's give them a hand for coming up for delicious cookies. That's what I'm talking about. What is your name, good sir? Chris. This is Chris. Everyone say hi to Chris. Hi, Chris. Chris, go ahead and pick one out. They're all the same. All right. And have, I just want you to take a bite, and I just want you to describe to us what's going on. It's so good. It's so good. I'm so hungry. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay. Why? Because my wife doesn't mess around with ingredients. Like it is, everything in there is like kind of farm to table style. It's all no added ingredients. Efficiency, efficiency is not her goal. Quality is her goal, okay? And then I went to Vaughn's and I bought these $1.99 each. Massive amounts. These signature select duplex sandwich cookies you can get more of them more cheaply. Now they're made from, I think like, let's see, asbestos and the off-scouring of some fracking industry in Barstow. Um, Lead-based paint is used somewhere in the ingredients, but, but you could get so many of them. Now this is, this is, my, this is my point. This is the, uh, what I hope lands for a minute, is early in my ministry life, I was sort of enamored with uh, bigger is better. Larger is more lovely. Like success, you will know you are Christians if you grow numerically and financially. Like that's got to be it. And, and when you'll hear the phrase like, oh, God's really working there. God is working in this place. Why? Oh, they had to like bring out more chairs last week. 
they had a parking problem. That's a good problem, right? And it's so easy to just be like, yes. And then to switch the toggle in our mindset. Now I'm speaking for myself here, okay? To switch the toggle in my mindset that says, how can we do this more efficiently and attractively? Get more butts in the sand, more folks part of the community, because that's, that's what God wants. Bigger, more efficient, always growing, year over year increases. And what is so wonderfully subversive is our scriptures. The fact that we're anchored to this story that tells us time and time again, if you sacrifice ingredients, I'm spitting out that cookie. It's disgusting. I don't care if you have a warehouse full of them. And you go, look, Jesus, look at our warehouse of cookies. And he goes, let me try one of those. Like, that's terrible. Is that vinegar? What did you use in here? Yeah, but we have so many of them. Glory be, praise be. And I just really believe that if we mind the ingredients, if we truly say, can we be a place, not perfectly, I will let you down. I have probably let many of you down. I have an issue where I get so excited and I'm like, oh, let's hang out. Let's go to coffee. Let's do this. And I forget, oh yeah, I am so overcommitted. It's ridiculous. And then the text just never comes. And I mean, it haunts me. Sometimes I wake up at two in the morning, like, man, I should have been with this person. And I didn't because this, that, and the other. And so like, I'm human. I'm going to let you, I spit when I talk. I do things wrong sometimes. Okay. We're not saying we're perfect. We're not saying come to the river where all those other naughty churches uh, are taught a lesson. We are the real deal. But what I am begging for, I, I know we all are craving, is like, what if we could truly be our little church, our tiny little church can be a place where people go, yeah, I just tasted and saw that like Jesus matters in their life. The Holy Spirit of God translates into reality. They just don't compromise ingredients no matter what. Um, some of the most beautiful moments when this church, when we first started, I mean, these are the things that, that we had big Easter's. We have big old fat Easter's. This place is full. Glory to God. People are just everywhere. And like, God's working. It's cool. Those are fun. But none of those are the ones I remember. The moments I remember the most are the sweetest moments. I'll never forget when we first started the church. And Tan and Nice were, were leading us. And um, Athea was in a hospital. And there was just a really bad day. And Todd was supposed to preach, and he couldn't preach, and he was surrounded. The whole church stopped and just surrounded them and prayed for them. That was our service. They're like, hey, if it's your first time with us, sorry, not sorry, because we will not compromise ingredients. I'll never forget when my marriage, Bray and I just had a really hard time, about year seven, a really bad time, on the rocks in a desperate place. And I, just, we threw ourselves into a safe community here at the River Church and said, we need help. And it was just like fainting in the arms of a, a, a few people that were safe and that showed us Jesus. I'll never forget it. I don't know what Bill preached on last week. It was Paul Peter's sermon, I think. I forget what I preached on. I forget what was preached on. I, I do. I just don't have that kind of a mind. But I remember when Bill encouraging our staff and putting his arm around us constantly I remember when Bill was first grieving the loss of Cynthia and threw himself into this community and watching the community respond with just like, no, Bill, we are here. We love you and it's safe. I'll never forget when we first became foster parents and I'm like, cool, I'm going to be an awesome foster dad. This is going to be rad. And all of a sudden it was like one of the hardest 
on-ramps of my life. And it is. It's a hard first couple weeks when you take a new placement. Really hard. And I remember there's a staff meeting going on, and I said, I can't make it. I'm just, I have an issue at home. We have all these things. And I, I remember the Lord just saying, James, and Bray telling me, James, go to staff meeting right now. I walked into staff meeting. I disrupted the whole thing. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. But I'm broken. I just sobbed. And they stopped all their efficiency, all the things they were doing, and they're, they're, this is how they roll. And they said, let's just care for you. Let's just care for you. And so I guess what I'm saying is, like, if we can continue that, if we can keep that flame growing and we keep our agendas out of it and we keep our pride, and if you've been hurt by someone here, please have a loving conversation. Let's have reconciliation here. Let's move forward. If I've hurt you or if you're on the outlier waiting for someone to come and grab you and pull you in, take a step of courage. Get to know a few more people. But if we can be truly like that community, that is real and authentic. And if we mind the ingredients, I really think people are going to taste and go, wow, maybe this stuff is legit. Maybe it's real. I'm going to pray. Lord, thanks so much for this time. Thanks for a chance to be reminded as a church about our ingredients, Lord. And to believe, we believe, Lord, if we can truly love well and put our earthly agendas aside for your agendas, and God, the Jesus message is going to land powerfully in our lives and in the lives of our neighbors that desperately need something real infused with your power. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're going to close, as we do every week, with um, some time of communion. And it's a little wafer and a little bit of grape juice. Um, but when this originally happened, it was around a table. It was a meal, and Jesus was sharing from his depths what he was here to do. He was here to give his life for those he loves, to give his blood for those he loves. And then as we gather around and take those elements, we are actually proclaiming we're Jesus', we're Jesus followers, and we want to be a community that does that as best we can, May God help us. So Ron's going to put some music on and feel free to take as you'd like. And that's our ending. We don't have an official, like, you know, grand finale. That's it. And have some time talking, maybe, if you have a moment or two. Uh, meet someone new. Maybe ask for some prayer if you need it. And, um, and we'll see you when we come back. Uh, throughout the week, we'll see you. And then we'll see you next weekend.